Well, hello, my friends, and welcome to Hope for Your Heart. This is Pastor Calvin Corbett. So glad that you are joining us today for the broadcast. Well, today I want to talk to you about how to manage your anger, how to manage your anger. But before we do that, we've got some unfinished business we need to take care of from our message yesterday. We spent Monday and Tuesday talking about how can I be more faithful? And we looked at Proverbs chapter 3. It's a powerful chapter. We looked at the first 12 chapters, and we learned that we grow in faithfulness when we remember and keep God's teachings. Proverbs 3, 1 and 2. My son, don't forget my teachings. Keep my commandments in your heart. They're going to prolong your life for many years, and then you'll have peace and prosperity. Uh, So as we are faithful in keeping God's commandments, we discover that we have a longer life, a peaceful life, and a life of prosperity. A second, we learned that as we are faithful, we are to have love and God and God's people stay connected into our lives. Let faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck, write them upon the tablets of your heart. Then you're going to win favor with God and a good name in the sight of God and man. So we grow in faithfulness as we stay connected with God and God's people. Listen, it'd be easy to be a faithful person to people if I never had to deal with people. But you know what? As I'm faithful to God, He gives me the ability to handle even those extra grace-required people. I remember when I was in Bible college, I had a fellow student who would used to always tell me, he said, ministry would be great if it weren't for people. Well, the problem is that ministry is people. Life is people. The greatness of your life is not going to be determined by how much money you make. It's not even going to be determined by how much you accomplish. I think the greatness of your life is based upon your relationships. As you have a good relationship with God, you have a good relationship with people. Listen, my most important relationships are with my family. I thank the Lord for my family. I don't worship my family. I love my family. But really, as I think about my claim to fame, if I have one, is that God's blessed me with a really great family, not only a biological family, but also a church family that I love so dearly. So being faithfulness, you can grow as you keep God's teachings. You can grow as you stay connected with God's people and stay connected with God. Number three, you can grow as you obey God in all your decisions. You know, don't be selective and say, well, I'm going to obey with my finances, but not with my thought life or not with my job life or not my family life. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he'll make you pass straight. The fourth way that we grow in our faith is that we walk in humility. And walking in humility doesn't mean I'm afraid to say something when evil comes my way. Because verses 7 and 8 says, don't be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil, right? Humbly before the Lord, shunning evil. If we are humble in the presence of the Lord by respecting him, he empowers us to shun evil. And Solomon says, this will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. And then there's a fifth way, and this this is where we kind of wrapped up the broadcast yesterday. If you really want to be faithful, you got to look at this matter of finances, and you've got to be generous, and you've got to be prioritized financially. Verses 9 and 10, Proverbs chapter 3 says, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing, 
and your vats will brim over with new wine. So a faithful giving of myself to the Lord always. When I was being trained to be a pastor, they said, well, be careful of saying always and never. But I've discovered a faithful giving of myself to the Lord always, always, always will be followed by a faithful giving of my resources to the Lord. There was an article in The Atlantic not too long ago written by a researcher by the name of Arthur Brooks. And Brooks says, money is the one thing that Americans worry about the most. One survey found that even when the U.S. economy is thriving, more than half of Americans feel anxious or insecure about money. And so during the recent COVID pandemic, another survey found that workers were almost five times more worried about money than their health. But it was not politically correct to say that I'm worried about money uh, because that would seem kind of selfish, right? And so they were afraid to speak it, but now that the pandemic's over, they said, you know, we were really worried about money. But most of us don't really need to worry about money. Did you know that only 11% of Americans live in poverty? And yet, according to a recent survey, more than half of the millennials who have a net worth greater than $1 million feared losing their wealth a great deal of the time or somewhat of the time. This survey did a third survey and found similar results with baby boomers. So money worries is a major contention. Listen, if you want to have financial freedom, I found that you just trust the Lord, put him first in your finances. As a matter of fact, this article by Arthur Brooks concludes by saying, for millions of people then, worrying about money is not a reflection of whether their basic needs are being met. In fact, this anxiety reflects a deeper concern that money can't solve. You see, it doesn't matter how much money you have, you don't find security in money. Maybe that's why Paul reminds us that the love of money is the root of all kind of evil. We're told in Philippians 4.19 that my God will supply all of my needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. And then lastly, as we talked about faithfulness, we said if we're going to grow in faithfulness, we must also be disciplined and unoffended with correction. Verses 11 and 12, Solomon says, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline and do not resent his rebuke because the Lord disciplines those that he loves as a father of the son he delights. For those without faithfulness, a rebuke is a reason to become bitter, a reason to despise not only the Lord, but to love the Lord's people. You will not be faithful for the long haul if you are constantly being offended at any mention of correction. One day I was counseling a husband and a wife, and the wife was extremely upset. Uh, I guess really what was happening is uh, we hit a nerve, and, and she didn't really like where we were going, and, and instead of admitting her shortcoming, she said, you know, the very idea of God judging in a Bible that condemns anyone is very offensive to me. I asked this woman, well, do you believe 
that God forgives. And she says, well, yes. And I said, well, how can God forgive if there hasn't first been made a judgment? Something must be declared wrong in order for God to forgive you of that wrong. You see, we don't need to be forgiven of anything until God declares it as wrong and until God declares a judgment. I continued on furthermore by explaining to her that her opinion of God is not consistent with the world's population. I said, you have a very American view of God. Those who reject the gospel and and for the most part reject what most churches stand for as far as proclaiming who God is, most people would say, I'm not going to become a Christian because they are too judgmental and God is too judgmental. And when I said this to this woman that she is rejecting what most people believe about God, I says, in the East, outside of the Western view of God, in the East, those who live in foreign countries resent what we would call the Western or the American view of God. You see, in their views, they reject American Christianity because they believe that many Americans feel that God is a God that just loves everybody, but never does anything to correct anything that's wrong, never makes a judgment. So I asked this woman, whose opinion is really more valid? The American view of God, that God is not a judging God, or the Eastern view of God, that God should be a God of judgment? Well, instead of this woman receiving this, she resented it. We got nowhere in bringing about success in that marriage. But you know, if you resent being corrected, then you're missing the point that you may not be part of the family of God. You know, my kids were growing up, I would often come home and my wife uh, was a stay-at-home mom until our kids were old enough to go to school. And oftentimes I would come home at the end of the day and there'd be these kids all over my house and all over my yard. And, and I'm like, walking. walk in, I says, where, where did all these kids come from? Uh, these aren't my kids. And yeah, my kids were with them, but I said, the majority of these kids here are not my kids. And sometimes these kids, these neighborhood children, would act in a way that really would, would pluck my last nerve, I'll put it that way. And there were times I would like to have, have have chastised those children, but I didn't. Why? Because they uh, they weren't my kids. Uh, they were the neighborhood kids, right? Uh, I didn't have to worry about how they behaved. I was responsible for my children. In Hebrews chapter 12, it says, Whom the Lord loves, he chastens, and he scourges every son whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? And then here is where the rubber meets the road, verse number eight, Hebrews chapter 12. But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not God's sons. So here's the bottom line. If you want to grow in your faith, you must realize that you must, from time to time, be under correction. As we think about correction, we're now going to talk about managing our anger. You know, the average man will lose his temper six times a week. The average woman loses her temper three times a week. 
Women get angry more often at people, but men more often get angry at things when they break down like machines and cars. Single adults express anger twice as often as married adults. Men tend to be more physical when they become angry than women. Uh, You're more likely to express your anger at home than anywhere else. Anger is one of the toughest emotions to manage. One day, Alexander the Great went off in a fit of rage, and he struck his favorite general. He hit him so hard it killed this man. He was his best friend. Alexander the Great cried out, I have conquered the world, but I can't even conquer my own soul. In Proverbs 16.32, it says, It is better to be slow-tempered than famous. It is better to be self-controlled than to control an army. Jesus talks about this matter of anger in Matthew chapter 5. In the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, he says, I say to you, whoever is angry with his brother without a cause is in danger of judgment. And whoever says of his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. But whoever says, you fool, shall be in danger of hell fire. You know, anger that is not managed will turn explosive, either outwardly or inwardly. Outwardly, anger is displayed by violence and destruction. Inwardly, it is displayed by bitterness and depression. Now, not all depression is caused by anger, but some of it is. In fact, the Center for Disease Control report that antidepressants are now the most prescribed drugs in America. Jesus talks about being angry at your brother, that you'll be in danger of the council. Raka in the Aramaic, it's a term that means I'm filled with scorn, means I'm filled with disdain. The Greek word raka means empty or vain, or a worthless one, and it signifies a lack of intelligence, uh, somebody who's like an imbecile or blockhead. It is only found one time in Scripture in Matthew 5.22. The Jews used it as a word of contempt. It derived from that root meaning to split something. When Jesus was being crucified, they were so angry that they split themselves in half and going against him, and then they spit upon him. The soldiers marked Christ and hailed him as king, and it says they spit on him. Uh, They were filled with anger. You see, anger causes a whole lot of mistakes. People with hot tempers do foolish things. Uh, We've heard that expression of people who fly off the handle or fly into a rage. Uh, Somebody said this, people who fly into a rage seldom make a good landing. Uh, The second sin that is recorded in the Bible is the sin of murder. Cain killing his brother Abel because of jealousy that was driven because of anger. Cain was really mad at himself, mad at God, and he took it out on Abel. You seek, and and if you don't control your anger, you will hurt yourself. You will also hurt others. I mean, how many marriages have been destroyed because of an inability to control anger? How many have lost their jobs? because of an inability to control their anger. I mean, how many people have dropped out of churches and and all because of their inability to manage their anger? Here are some facts about anger. 
Did you know that anger is actually a choice? In Ecclesiastes 7.9, it says, Do not be quickly provoked in your spirit, for anger resides in the lap of fools. In other words, don't allow things to regurgitate or provoke you in your spirit, because that will lead to anger. So you have a choice. And I'm not going to dwell on things. I'm not going to uh, nurse and rehearse a hurt. I'm going to let it go, and I'm going to ask the Lord to release it. You know, in Ephesians chapter 4, it talks about anger. We'll talk about that in just a moment. But if you cut off oxygen, a fire goes out. If you stop fueling a flame, the fire goes out. So if you stop fueling a provoked spirit, anger will cease. So anger is a choice, but anger is not a sin, but it can easily lead to sin. You say, well, how do I know the difference? Well, anger becomes sin when it results in a lack or a a loss of control. Ecclesiastes 7 says, don't be quick to fly off the handle. And I love this because anger boomerangs. You can spot a fool by the lumps of his head, says the message translation. I guess we could call you, you lumpy, right? If you've been hit with that anger of boomerang, uh, then you have lost control, and that is a sin. Anger becomes a sin when we are driven with resentment. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26. And don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. For anger gives a foothold to the devil. So when I am allowing anger to control me, I'm allowing the devil to have a foothold in me. I'm filled with resentment. That is a sin. Anger becomes sin when it is accompanied with hurtful actions. As a matter of fact, this is such an important point that Paul, when he writes to Titus, talks about those who want to be leaders within the church. And he says, an overseer, this is Titus 1.7, as God's steward must be blameless, not self-willed or not arrogant, not presumptuous. He must not be quick-tempered or given to drink or pugnacious living, that's brawling kind of living, a violent type of person. Uh, He must not be grasping and greedy for filthy lucre. That is, he must not be driven for financial gain. So here we discover a quick-tempered person is one who will have hurtful actions. That's when anger becomes sin. Anger becomes sin when we are driven to pay back somebody who's done us wrong. I guess you could call that retribution. Romans chapter 12, verse 17 says, Don't pay back people with evil for the evil they do to you. Focus your thoughts on those things that are considered noble. As much as is possible, live at peace with everyone. Don't take revenge, dear friends. Instead, let God's anger take care of it. After all, Scripture says, I alone have the right to take revenge. I will pay back, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, you feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. If you do this, you will make him feel guilty and ashamed. Don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil with good. I love that passage of Scripture. Many years ago, I went to visit a man in a hospital, and when I showed up in the room of this hospital, the first thing this man said to me is these words, I can't believe you've come here to see me. You know, at first, I didn't know how to take that. 
And he says, as we continued our conversation, he says, after I did to try to hurt you, you still come to visit me, not to, to come in here to, to, to soak in your misery, but to, to pray with you and to encourage you. You know, I discovered that God can pay back much better than I can pay back. If your enemy's hungry, you feed him. If he's thirsty, you give him a drink. If you do this, you discover that you can overcome evil. Don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil with good. Listen, if your anger is driving you to the point where you're paying somebody back, you're giving them retribution, that has become a sin. Uh, We see that anger is also found in a lack of forgiveness. Paul tells the believers at the church of Ephesus that they should get rid of bitterness, get rid of hot tempers, get rid of anger, loud quarreling and cursing and hatred. Instead, be kind to each other, sympathetic, forgiving each other, as God has forgiven you in Christ Jesus. You see, anger becomes sin when we refuse to forgive. Anger is a willful response to hurt that can be rooted either in love or hate and can result in a positive or negative outcome depending upon the response of the one angered. You see, anger really is a choice. As we are faced with hurtful situations, we are praying that we'll be rooted in love, that that anger will propel us to do something positive instead of something negative. You know, even a casual reading of the Old Testament shows that God is sometimes excessively angry. In Deuteronomy 32, it says, A fire is kindled in my anger, it shall burn into the lowest hell. And then Jeremiah 21.5 says, And I myself will fight against you with an outstretched arm and with a strong arm even in my anger, even in my fury, and in my great wrath. As a matter of fact, one time, the children of Israel, they were complaining so much that it displeased the Lord, and his anger was kindled, and the fire of the Lord burnt among them and consumed some of them, in Numbers 11. In some cases, God's anger even seems to harm the innocent. In Exodus chapter 22, 24, it says, My wrath shall become hot, and I will kill you with the sword. Your wives shall be widows and your children fatherless. You see, when Moses came down from the mountain with those tablets, the Ten Commandments, his anger burned. When he saw the people given over to idolatry, he threw down those two tablets and smashed them to pieces at the foot of the mountain. And, and then Moses destroyed that golden calf, burns it in the fire. Moses and God proceeded to discipline the people for their sin. And later, God instructed Moses to chisel out two new stone tablets, just like the one that God had written with his own finger. You know, the Ten Commandments were spoken to Moses in God's own voice and then later written on two tablets of stone by the finger of God. They were extremely important to God. After Moses destroyed the tablets inscribed by God, he made Moses write new ones, just like the ones he had written himself. You see, the Ten Commandments are the first part of God's legal system. In essence, they are a summary of the hundreds of laws found in the Old Testament. 
They offer basic rules of behavior for spiritual and moral living. They are designed to guide Israel into a life of practical holiness. These laws still instruct us today, for they expose the sin and they show us God's standard. You see, without the sacrifice of Christ, we are utterly helpless to live up to God's holy standard. Moses destroyed those tablets in his anger. The breaking of the tablets was symbolic of the laws of God being broken by the people of God. Moses had righteous anger at the sight of sin. Anger at sin is a sign of spiritual health. It is appropriate to experience righteous anger. However, we should always be careful that it doesn't lead to sin. Well, I want you to join me tomorrow as we finish up this subject on anger. I'm going to talk to you about how I can manage my anger. Now, if I can help you, if I can pray for you, I'd be happy to do that. Shoot me a text at 252-267-2365, 252-267-2365. I'd be happy to pray for you. Uh, maybe you have a matter that you that's weighing heavy on your heart today. Uh, shoot me a text. I will pray for you. I'll have our prayer team praying for you because prayer changes things. Thank you so much for joining me today. If you'd like to hear this broadcast again, you can have a free download at buzzsprout.com backslash 1890557, or you can listen on Amazon, Spotify, Google Podcast, and Apple Podcast. Hickory Ridge Community Church is located at 3320 Battlefield Boulevard South in Chesapeake, Virginia. Sunday service times are 9 a.m. and 10.30 a.m. We'd love for you to join us. For more information, go to hrcc7.org. And remember, no matter what you're going through, in Jesus Christ there is always hope for your heart.